We're all familiar with the excitement, the exuberance demonstrated by little children who are excited to parade in front of mom and dad, either with a brand new outfit that they've come across or a costume that they are donning. And I suppose there's probably a number of reasons that they are so excited about that kind of experience. Well, first of all, they're kids and they get excited about just about anything. And so it's not a surprise that a new outfit or a costume would be exciting for them. But it's also, at least in part, the fact that they're pretty confident that they know how mom or dad or grandma or grandpa is going to react. They're going to be excited. They're going to praise them. They're going to encourage them. They're going to be the biggest cheerleaders about how great they look in this new outfit or costume and how wonderful it is. And so children retain that innocence, that exuberance uh, for a time. Maybe up until about adolescence or the teenage years. And then reality sets in. And, and that new outfit that they were so excited to wear to school suddenly is met maybe for the first time with a, a sharp rebuke or, or comment. Some, some stinging comment that, that lingers with them, that, that isn't at all the praise or the uplifting encouragements that they always got from mom and dad. And that's not something that is easily lost on them. And in fact, maybe, maybe even at that stage in life, mom or dad contribute to it. Oh, you are, you're going out looking like that, you're wearing that. And suddenly this, this exuberance, this confidence that, that the children used to have suddenly fades away. And, and for some, it isn't maybe ever regained throughout adolescence or those teenage years. It's that fear of being compared or not measuring up using somebody else's standards. And we'd have to agree that that doesn't leave us into adulthood. In fact, not only does it not leave us, it, it becomes all-encompassing. It isn't just about what we wear, but it's everything associated with us. We feel as if the entire world, our culture, is constantly scrutinizing, evaluating, assessing what we wear, where we live, what kind of car we drive, what our job is like, how successful our kids are, what our yard looks like, how it's decorated for the seasons. And, and we're constantly worried about what everybody else is thinking. Do we measure up? compared to somebody else. We don't like that feeling of being judged by others. And you know that it isn't just others either. In fact, oftentimes we are the most judgmental of ourselves. And that's reflected when somebody else doesn't even need to say anything at all. And what do we do? We assume the worst. Oh, they... They didn't say anything. I already know what she thinks about what I'm wearing or what I did. Or we're excited about this activity or, or this thing and, then, and, and it doesn't even attract anybody else's attention and immediately we assume, well, I, I'm not good enough. I didn't even grab their attention or somebody else is doing it better than, than I am. And we fail to, to realize that it's not just others' opinions of us, the concern about them judging us, but we don't often see that, that we are the ones that are constantly judging ourselves or comparing ourselves. And my hope this morning is that we can counter that and, and return back to that childlike exuberance and, and excitement that doesn't live in fear of other people's opinions or judgment. And yes, it is actually possible. It is possible, as we'll see this morning, 
but not if we are entirely focused on what others think of us or what we think of ourselves, but rather there's somewhere else we need to look. And my prayer is that we would walk away with the same kind of confidence that the Apostle Paul demonstrated in his letter to the Corinthians. Listen to what he wrote in in chapter 4 and let it sink in, verses 3 and 4. He said, I care very little if I am judged by you or by any human court. Indeed, I do not even judge myself. My conscience is clear, but that does not make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. Did you, did you catch Paul's rationale? Why he wasn't concerned about judgment from others or from himself? Because he knew that it was the Lord who judges him. And we're going to come back to that because that understanding is going to enlighten our appreciation of the words from Isaiah that we're focusing on this morning. But first, we want to recognize how Paul got there, realizing that if he was going to place his hope for his own identity, his own emotional, mental health on his opinion or other people's opinion, it wasn't going to work out. And in fact, that shows the shortcoming of any approach that our culture takes in trying to pursue this healthy sense of identity. Many of us here grew up in in a a setting where the approach it was thought at the time to being healthy emotionally or mentally or, or being confident in yourself was really attained by your performance. So if you failed at something, if you didn't measure up, you knew that the key was, and this was told to you by your teachers, by your parents, was you just have to try harder, you have to do better, be more like so-and-so. If you don't want to be ashamed, if you don't want to feel like a failure, try a little bit harder, and you'll feel better about yourself when you perform well, when you, when you achieve the task well. Apparently the experts said, maybe that's not the most effective way, because I guess at the end of the day, people may perform as well as they can, and it's maybe never good Enough. So there was a, a cultural shift and psychologists started even telling parents, you know what, you can't be so harsh on your kids. Don't be so blunt. Don't be so, so hard on them, expecting so much. Instead, what you need to do is you need to affirm them. Help them to, to have a healthy self-identity, to, to be speaking positively of themselves, to have a healthy affirmation. And, and don't worry about other people's opinions, but, but pour into them and build them up. And that's where their self-confidence and their identity is going to come from. This would be uh, maybe the, the, I guess, the rationale behind why some of us grew up hearing sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt me. Except I was thinking about that during the sermon. I don't remember the last time I have heard that phrase uttered. Because it turns out words do actually hurt. And so it turns out that also was not the approach to a healthy self-identity. Just build yourself up, think positively, self-affirmation, look in the mirror and tell you're good enough, you're smart enough, and all of those positive thinkings. Why? Because people still say mean things. And what people say still hurts. And so that's where we're at today in our culture. The previous two approaches didn't work, so now the solution, it's thought, is that we just have to eliminate anybody from saying anything bad or mean about anybody. So you're not allowed to disagree with anybody. 
You have to tread lightly on what you speak because if it offends somebody else, it's not their fault for taking offense, it's yours for causing it. You can't disagree with the path that they have chosen or what they want to do in life because that might hurt their feelings. And if that happens, then it's on you, not on them. So now our approach is to, to protect each other by guarding against anything harmful said. And you can see how that's working out in our culture today where hardly a week goes by where you don't see some headline about a suicide. And all of us know, and maybe ourselves, are experiencing that the solution is prescribe more pills for depression and anxiety. None of these solutions are working. Why is that? Because they're addressing the wrong problem. Do you want to know what the, the problem is in all of these scenarios that the world fails to figure out? Look to the person to your left. That person isn't the problem. Look to the person to your left, your right, before you, behind you, and you're not going to see the problem. If you want to see what the problem is, pull out your phone and, and set it to take a selfie and then look directly in your phone and you'll see what the problem is. You are the problem. And that's why trying to deal with, with other people's opinions or judgments of you and your own opinion or judgment of you is never going to work because you are the problem. And you know this inherently. You know that something is off. Something isn't right. Because you know the thoughts that you have had. You know the things that you have gotten away with as well as the things that you have not gotten away with. And that's why your conscience will always, and rightly so, accuse you. And that's why trying to address other people's opinions or judgments or your own will never work. Because you understand that you never measure up. But there is a solution. And Paul hit it right on the head. Notice, he even said, even though he had a clear conscience, a clean conscience, that wasn't enough. It didn't matter how he felt about himself because he knew he wasn't the judge. As he reminded us, my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who judges me. And that, dear friends, is the source of our confidence. You know the judge. And you already know the judge's verdict. There is no uncertainty about that last day based on what God has spent page after page after page in his word revealing to us so that we could have the confidence and the assurance that we won't find in other people's opinions or assessments of us and not even our own opinions that we have to look and see what the Lord says about us and the Lord has already rendered his verdict and we already know what it is going to be for those who are in Christ Jesus on that last day. The verdict is not going to be a sentence of condemnation to hell for eternity, but he's going to welcome those who are his through faith in Jesus Christ to their eternal home. And if that is his judgment, and it is, then who else's opinion or judgment of you carries nearly that kind of weight than the one who is determining your eternity and has already made it clear what his judgment is? Did you know that, that this was the judge, Jesus, that Isaiah was talking about in our verses this morning? Did you know that Jesus was the one that he was describing in, 
in verses 1 and following, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. That is your judge, Jesus. And who wouldn't want that kind of a judge with all of those qualities, knowledge and wisdom and counsel and understanding and fear? That would be the judge that you would want overseeing your case. But even having an ideal judge isn't going to change the outcome if he's going to judge on the basis of what he sees when he looks at you and me. But you know what Isaiah goes on to say? That's not how he's going to make his judgment. He's not going to judge you on the basis of what he sees and hears, which is exactly what Isaiah says in verses 3 and following. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears. Now that can be taken two ways. On the one hand, it definitely means that there is no opportunity to fake Jesus out on that last day. You you can go through the motions. You can think you're saying the right things. He's not going to be fooled by those outward externals. He sees right through into the heart. But at the same time, the rest of Scripture also makes it very clear that on that last day, Jesus' judgment is not going to be based on what he sees when he looks at the track record of your life or on what he hears when he focuses on the words that have come out of your mouth. That's not going to be the basis of his judgment. But look what is. Verse 4 tells us, With righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. And verse 5, Righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness the sash round his waist. Righteousness, justice, faithfulness, these are not qualities that we find in ourselves. So if Isaiah is telling us this is going to be the basis for Judge Jesus' verdict, then we can only rightly conclude that the judge himself must be bringing these qualities to the table, to the verdict. That it's not our lack of righteousness, but his righteousness. It's not our injustices, but his justice. It's not our unfaithfulness, but our Savior, his faithfulness to us, his commitment to us that is going to be the basis for his verdict. And you already know what that verdict is. But you already know what that verdict means. It means that you are at peace. It means there's, there's nothing that, that Jesus is waiting for you to achieve or accomplish before, before he comes back on that last day in terms of your salvation. He's already done it all. He says, there is no concern about your relationship with me. I'm the one who has established that. I'm the one who has reconciled what your sin broke down and separated. I've repaired that through Jesus. No matter the sin, no matter how grievous, no matter how extensive, no matter how many times it has been repeated, there is forgiveness for those that, that as John called to repent and acknowledge that. That's the peace that Isaiah was describing in the verses that follow after this then. 
You see it depicted as Isaiah often does using pictures in, in nature, whether it's plants and, and trees or animals. You see all of these animals that we see are naturally predator and prey. And, and he's describing this picture of peace that says, look, even the animal kingdom is going to, to get along. And the point is to establish the truth that this world that Jesus is going to usher in when he returns on that last day will be one that will be filled with peace. A peace that you don't have to earn. A peace that he has already assured you of by the work of his reconciliation, by his righteous life, by his perfection, by his holiness, by his payment. He has ushered in a peace that you can't find anywhere else in this world. Do you know that that also means not just that you are at peace with God, but that you can be at peace with fellow man. No matter what somebody has done to wrong you, God says, be free of the burden of feeling like you have to get even, that you have to be filled with bitterness or revenge, that it's yours to make that wrong right. He says, you're at peace with me. Extend that peace to your fellow man. And during this Advent season and Christmas and beyond, run to your righteous judge for that peace. Rest in his peace. It is truly a peace that, that passes all understanding, and it is truly a peace that is yours. And yes, it'll be made public on that last day, but yes, it is ours every bit as much today while we wait for that last day. And as we do, may we eagerly, fervently, regularly pray, Come, Lord Jesus as our righteous judge. Amen.